Since 2005, Blue Hat has been where the security research community and Microsoft come together as peers. To debate and discuss, share and challenge, celebrate and learn. On the Blue Hat podcast, join me, Nick Fillingham. And me, Wendy Zanoni, for conversations with researchers, responders and industry leaders, both inside and outside of Microsoft. Working to secure the planet's technology and create a safer world for all. And now, on with the Blue Hat Podcast. Welcome to the Blue Hat Podcast to David Weston. Dave, thanks for being here. Hey, happy to be here. Excited. I see here that your middle name is Dwizzle. Is that a family name? It's definitely not a family name. It's uh, one of those things that you pick up during red teaming when uh, someone has permissions to change your name and then it just sort of stuck. When did that happen? Is that many years ago? Many, many years ago. Not only my picture got changed in sort of the corporate catalog, but also, you know, my display name. Uh, and then once my boss and exec started picking it up and calling me Dwizzle, it was a wrap for that. So That's awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that little <laughs> no bit of problem. history. So give us the little introduction. I think a lot of folks listening to the podcast will know who you are, but just sure. a quick refresher. Tell us about your organization. Tell us about what you do at Microsoft. Yeah, I guess my fancy name is a uh, title is the VP of Operating System Security and Enterprise, which in a nutshell means any operating system built at Microsoft, whether that's a Linux distribution, Windows, Server, Azure, IoT products like Sphere, my team builds the security features in. So that's sort of my builder job is we build things like the cryptography platform, authentication, attestation, exploit mitigations, you name it. Big features you might be familiar with are Windows Hello, BitLocker, virtualization-based security, things like that. So that's kind of my builder job. I have a second job as a breaker, and so I lead our security assurance teams, teams uh, your listeners might be familiar with, like Morse, the Microsoft Offensive uh, Research and Security Engineering Org. We have a similar organization for services, and so the job of that team in a nutshell is to do penetration testing, red teaming, code reviews, and helping our engineering teams you know, fuzz and build securely designed products from the ground up. And so that's sort of the breaker job. And between those two teams from both uh, building and breaking, I think we get to a pretty strong product. So it's it's a fun job. I like to tell people just historically, I've had every job in security at Microsoft from leading parts of Defender Research to being a red teamer myself to building analysis tools. Chances are if there's a security job at Microsoft, I had it at one time. So it's been a fun ride. What was your first sort of formal security role either at Microsoft or sort of earlier in your career? Yeah, I was one of the uh, first pen testers in Windows. So I started in Windows 7. We always had actually a great crew of kind of contract people would come in and pen test. Uh, I was one of the first folks whose official job was like a pen tester in Windows. So yeah, it was, that was a fun ride. Uh, <laughs> that was back when we had three-year cycles and would build very complicated products with lots of features. And we had an all-star cast of people from the industry, folks like Dan Kaminsky, you know, a famous researcher who was doing contract work was probably there. And so definitely one of the highlights of my career was that first couple of years at Microsoft. And Dan was one of the uh, first presenters at the Original Blue Hat, as I understand. Uh, I I wasn't there, but that's sort of a great sort of link there. Let's sort of pivot to Blue Hat here. So when was the first Blue Hat that you attended and what's sort of your relationship with the Blue Hat conference? Hard to even remember. (laughs) Sometime in the... uh you know, maybe 2008 timeframe, I think uh, I came to Blue Hat. I think in those days, it was a very interesting time because I think the goal of Blue Hat was really to bring external 
researchers, as well as internal folks, but basically start to build a security culture at Microsoft, right? In those first few years, you know, it's not like it is today where you have Twitter and LinkedIn and you're just constantly have available information. You know, this was a time when developers really focused on building features. They cared about security, right? We had things like Bill Gates' memo on trustworthy computing and directives around that. But, you know, being motivated to do security and knowing exactly what to do are two different things. And so I think those early days of Blue Hat were really just building trust and ties between an internal security community and the external folks. So it was a lot of fun. It was just, you never knew quite what was going to happen. There were a lot of interesting interactions and everything was new. So it was, it was, and it felt like that. So it was a really cool time. I wasn't around in the security world back then, but I do recall seeing some blog posts and some content back from that time. Yeah. And one of the ways they, they referred to Blue Hat initially was an internal conference with external perspectives. I think and, that's right. You know, yeah. that's what you just described yeah. there. So it sounded like initially the attendees worked for Microsoft and they were focused on security and some capacity, but the presenters, the speakers were, were predominantly coming from external places to come and sort of give us reality checks. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And, and it wasn't just always reality checks. I think it was external folks trying to learn from Microsoft too, because at that time, I think, you know, we were sort of trend setting too. We were doing, you know, exploit mitigations in the platform, right? Vista had ASLR. So we had, Microsoft had a lot of credibility. So I think it was actually kind of a mutual exchange. There were certainly, we wanted to change our culture, but there were, you know, I can tell you, I was super excited to come to Microsoft because I thought of it as like the really pinnacle of, of like large scale companies doing security. And so I think the vibe I always got from researchers, we want to know what you're doing too, right? So it was, like I said, it was, it was, we're sort of feeling each other out period of, of Microsoft and the security community. Do you have a memory from some of those early Blue Hat conferences where either an external perspective was provided internally and the internal Microsoft people were like, wow, gosh, that's something we really need to think about. But then also the other way around where the external researchers, the external sort of academic and sort of industry folks came in and saw like, oh, you know, Microsoft's actually doing some really interesting things we sort of didn't know about. Like just some, some examples that show that two-way street. I'm not sure if I have like a singular talk for that, but certainly folks like Dan Kamiski, I think, it's clear he was just a master of his craft and really understood what it meant, not only to, to find security issues in kind of the researcher side, but really to architect things. So it was really cool to see even some really experienced, you know, senior and principal devs, folks who were really like tastemakers inside the company go, you know, these security folks, they're not just wonks, right? Like they actually know what they're talking about. And there's some real engineering here. So that, that was like, you know, if there was one thing that stuck out to me, it was really researchers building credibility and watching the culture go from why do we have to do this security stuff to not only do should we do the security stuff, but there's people outside who really know what they're talking about and we should take their advice. Uh, and that wasn't just talks, that was hallway conversations, informal meetings. You just started to see a gel and... um sort of a relationships made. And that was really cool to see. Dave, how does that translate now? You know, you run a very large security organization. Yeah. So when you are hiring people, how do you try and balance that sort of bringing in of external perspectives and sort of new ideas, and then also looking for folks within the company that have, you know, multidisciplinary skills and lots of experience with Microsoft? How do you sort of think about that balance of internal expertise, external perspectives, yeah. and sort of blending that? I really believe in the principle that inclusive teams are the best teams. And so in this particular case, we're talking about sort of external security perspectives versus internal, but that cuts across the board. The best teams 
have lots of different ideas coming from lots of different experiences and the best ideas flow to the top without a filter on who they come from. So I'm not sure if I necessarily am that strategic in terms of like, who can I bring in and what do I ask them to change? Instead, what I try to do is create an environment where you're encouraged to bring your whole self, where you're encouraged to bring your ideas, whether those came from your internal experiences or your external, and that we're very open to those ideas. And more importantly, we're open to reevaluating what we're doing today and improving that and changing it at any given time. I think the worst thing you can do as a security team is rest on your laurels, have dogmatic views that are like, oh, we've always done it that way, so let's continue. So I think you want to bring in as many perspectives as possible. I definitely like bringing people from the outside who can sort of stir things up and be disruptive by bringing different thought processes. I will also say almost always, the folks that I've hired from the outside get just as much because they learn about things like, well, how do we engineer with compatibility and security? How do we bring performance in? How do we scale software, right? It's not just a Python script on GitHub anymore. It's something that needs to be used by 10,000 developers. So there's almost always this exchange of ideas and backgrounds that end up, I think, in everyone getting better. And that's really the focus I have as a leader of a team is building an environment where people just get better because there's so many different ways to learn from each other. That's awesome. And that really tied into the theme of your keynote at Blue Hat. So first of all, thank you so much for your support of Blue Hat, not only over the years, but in February in the 2023. I think you were on stage maybe second only to our MCs. (laughs) You know, we we had you as part of the researcher appreciation appreciation panel. You keynoted our day three. You may or may not have been uh, spinning the wheels of steel. (laughs) That's right. But, you know, it was so wonderful to have you part of the event and a part of the community. Well, let's start with the researcher appreciation panel. So one of the things we did to kick off Blue Hat 2023 was, as the name suggested, we brought some folks on stage and we really sort of wanted to set the tone and set the stage, uh, you know, if I can use the same word twice, that Blue Hat is about, in many ways, celebrating researchers, thanking them for their work, really embracing them into the way that we think about security at Microsoft. Can you talk a little bit about what sort of perspective that you provided yeah. as part of that panel? What sort of things were important to you when it comes to celebrating researchers? Sure. I think one important perspective to bring is, you know, my first experience with Microsoft was actually reporting bugs through MSRC. And like many of you researchers, my bug was won't fixed the first thing I reported, but I did end up interviewing out of that. So that, that was a cool thing and building some relationships. So I think the reason that's important is, you know, that's the perspective I bring. That's the world I come from is being a researcher. And so, you know, I think by nature, I'd like to think I understand the perspective of researchers and I uniquely appreciate and value what comes from them. So I think that's where we start. Then the next question is, how do we better collaborate and service our researchers, right? And so the theme of my talk, I think ultimately was, you know, bugs are great and we want to continue to get issues, but I want to invite the research community and I want to invite Microsoft to do more with this information, to do more with this perspectives. You know, if you see the same type of bug reported by many different people and they're telling you to change the design, you want to look at changing the design, right? You don't want to just be on this treadmill of bug fixing. So I think the theme of my panel was let's level up the relationship. Let's go beyond this sort of transactional exchange into I give you a bug, I fix the bug into how do we work together to build better systems? And I think that's ultimately going to benefit the world. And so that may sound altruistic, but I gave, I think, quite a few examples of where I've made significant changes, you know, multi-year changes based on the input from researchers. And I think 
not to say uh, vulnerabilities and bugs aren't important, but I think in my experience, people are in the research world for more than just getting their name on an MSRC report, for more than just getting a bounty. You know, they're driven by the fact that they actually want to change things and improve security. And so I think my target here was to invite people to do that. Let's level up. Let's do more together. And is that that leveling up of, of moving beyond individual bugs and vulns and sort of thinking about more systemic changes and evolutions, how does the researcher sort of play a role in that? And that might be a very sort of rudimentary yeah. question, but if, if I'm a finder out there and I am finding two or three, but, you know, I'm finding a, a vuln, I submit it, it either gets fixed or doesn't fix, but then I find a variant and then I find another one, then I find another one. I'm probably going to think like, oh, okay, this does need some systemic change. Yeah. But what can the researcher do beyond just continuing to submit more variants? What are they empowered to do in their relationship with Microsoft or the way they engage with us? Yeah, I mean, for one, I'd like to say that I'm on Twitter. I probably share more there than I should, and I'm highly available. So, I mean, ultimately, my DMs are open. So if you have an idea, I'd love to hear it. And more importantly, you know, I'm just one person, but I know that I have an army of folks who want nothing more than to improve the product or the feature they're working on. And they're hungry. They're just begging for more input on how to change things. I know sometimes I think that there's a little bit of a sort of stonewalling between those two worlds, which is researchers think engineering doesn't care. And engineering is like, I don't know how to interact with researchers. But I think we've proven time and again that when we can get those folks together, really powerful and exciting things happen. And so I think there's I gave a very pragmatic, you can go on Twitter, but I think if you're reporting issues through MSRC and you want to have a larger discussion, please let the person you're working with on that side know that you want to meet with a feature team. And I can say almost across Microsoft, they'd be willing to do that. And certainly for my teams, that's something that happens regularly. And I can talk about how some of those interactions, we've had people send us papers with really interesting designs. You know, we may not always implement it as that, but we'll talk through the ideas, talk about the pros and cons. We've had on the back of napkins after pwn to own, I've had people explain how to improve our mitigations that we've gone and implemented. And then obviously we're very close to the research that happens. I spent a good chunk of my week going through PDFs and PowerPoints and you know papers from the research community, always looking for that next problem or how to stay ahead of things. So research, explicit requests or social media, those are all three venues in which I would encourage folks to, to interact with us and, and bring some new perspectives. That's amazing. You know, I've been very privileged to be a fly on the wall for one or two of those conversations yeah. with you, Dave. Yep. And I can attest to the fact that, yeah, if a researcher is finding stuff and wants to move beyond just simply continuing to submit vulns and variants, yeah, your your door is open. And I've seen you open that door and I've been a part of, you know, I've seen you have those conversations and it's it was incredibly refreshing to see. As a leader at Microsoft too, you know, how do you then help to sort of promote that approach and that sort of ethos with your your peers because maybe not all teams approach security that way or maybe yeah. they don't even have the the sort of the bandwidth to do it so like how do you as a leader try and sort of push for that 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 cultural change inside of the company i think i try to assure other leaders based on my own experience that this is a positive thing so if there's ever a question about working with the research community can happen or whether change should happen, one, I bring my own perspective and say, if I were you, this is what I would do. And then I bring my experience. This is what I've done in the past and how it worked out. And so I'm always willing, and it, I play that role quite a bit, to be sort of a go-between between, I'll say, like the engineering leader or 
whatever executive world, whatever you want to call it, in the research community. So I often get DMs from folks who are like, I know you don't work on product X, but could you help me get some traction over there? You know, that's an important and fulfilling role I play. And so the, the what I try to do is just bring my own experience as a researcher, which I think probably sort of unique in the the higher realms of like, you know, engineering leaders. There's not too many of us who kind of came from that pen testing background. Uh, and then just bringing my own experience of how I work. And uh, I don't think I've ever run into a case where, you know, I think something that really should have happened was sort of shut down for artificial reasons. We've always really got good traction. We have great leadership at Microsoft. You don't get to to that, that place unless you care about security and unless you're willing to you know, have a growth mindset. And so I think in general, it works out really well as long as we can connect the right people. That's awesome. So you, you mentioned there again that your your background mm-hmm. is in pen testing and you know you've worn that researcher hat. I think you've told this story at, at previous events, but just sort of, you know, quickly, do you remember that first bug that you submitted to MSRC that was closed as will not fix? Yeah, it was some sort of an active X bug. I think I had modified HD Moore's Axe Fuzzer, which was sort of a JavaScript that would discover and call like properties and methods on an active X control. And so I think I found something that ended up being like non-controllable. So they made the right call for sure. But of course, I was like, no, this is important. So I understand uh, the reasoning. And then another bug that I, I think I remember quite well that was great. There's actually a program at Microsoft called MSVR, Microsoft Vulnerability Research, that encourage our own internal finders to report bugs through MSRC and then go out. And I actually found a uh, Bug number one in the MSVR program, this was back when it was very new and uh, Katie Masuris was running that world. And so that was kind of a cool thing to get sort of the first CVE by a Microsoft researcher on an external product, uh, which at the time I think was pretty edgy for Microsoft. So that, that was another cool one. You know, that first file, that ActiveX one that you just mentioned yeah. there, is that your Moby Dick? Like, do you sort of keep thinking about that and you sort of want to come back to have the, you know, want to go find the original team that built that and, you know, still argue your case? Like, no. you, think you agree with the fact that it was a do not fix, but like, do you still wake up in the middle of the night and like, ah? Oh! No, I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, being the first pen tester of Microsoft and I'll call it a target rich environment. I was privileged enough to find many bugs that were much better than that that I think about. But uh, I just found it ironic that the first interaction I had was a bug that I thought was valid, which I think is was the right call to, to not fix it. It just kind of exemplifies, I think, the, you know, it's tough to be a researcher sometimes. It is. And I love your perspective. You know, one of the things that I've learned in my time uh, working with MSRC, being a part of Blue Hat, meeting researchers, is that a lot of the times, one of the biggest challenges for a researcher is the actual submission. Yeah. So sometimes the submission can be just way too brief yep. or it's, you know, the steps are really sort of not sort of detailed enough. And so that when the MSRC team is receiving that, they they don't have enough to go on to be able to, you know, truly reproduce the, the vulnerability and determine sort of you know, whether or not it's a bug. And so sort of the quality and the sort of depth of the submission is important. Feel free to talk talk about that if you like. But what I also wanted to ask was your team, as I understand it, is on the receiving end of of now a lot of these sort of submissions that come through MSRC. And so do you have thoughts on how to create sort of a really good bug report so that it does get accepted, it does get investigated and ultimately can sort of lead to, you know, not just a a CVE, you know, mention or, Mm -hmm. or, or a bounty payment, but actual real change? Yeah, and I, first I'll say, 
again, as a research, as someone who's done a lot of research myself, like I understand, you know, it's it can sometimes be really expensive to do a full root cause analysis, a write up when you're not sure if it's going to have an ROI for you. Are they going to actually fix the bug? Do they want this issue? And so there's this constant balance between there's a receiving team who has some, you know, basic minimum requirements they want, and they may, you know, want to <laughs> invest as minimal time to get the bug fixed. And you have researchers who are like, I just want the bug fixed. I don't necessarily want to spend dozens of hours up front writing things up. And so I think we have to acknowledge that both sides are kind of saying it would be great to get this fixed with minimal effort. So if we start from like this sort of MVP ethos, you know, I would say there's one principal thing that a researcher can do to almost always ensure the bug is going to get fixed. And that is making repro accurate. You know, you don't have to have the best write up in the world. You don't have to have debug traces. You don't have to have logs. If we can repro something, there's a very, very good chance that we're going to fix the issue. So if you had to spend one time, it's getting reliable repro. Now that's sometimes easier said than done. It depends on the type of bug. There's environments, et cetera. But if you can explain how, like your environment to repro it and provide like a POC that repros with high reliability, chances are that bug's going to get fixed. That is fantastic advice. Thank you for that perspective. I want to now jump to your keynote from Blue Hat. And so you keynoted day three. And for folks that aren't familiar with, with Blue Hat and how we structured the event this, this year, Blue Hat was three days. The first two was open to both internal and external attendees. Day three was what we call our internal day. And so we still had external presenters. We had, uh, we had James Forshaw, we had Sick Codes, we had Nostori Cinema, but the folks in, in the audience were, were just internal. We had you uh, open that day for us with a keynote. Mm -hmm. I'll start with your three takeaways, if that's okay. Sure. I've just got your, your slide up here. So your first was about being a security advocate. Your second was about working with the community to get an outside perspective on your area. And the third was about turning ideas from community into action. So we've touched on all those yeah. three things already in today's podcast episode. Thank you. But I wonder if we could sort of back up. So you told a story of your team. You told a story of some of the work that your team has done and that Microsoft has done at large, where the genesis was researchers submitting and, and helping us find either individual bugs or classes. Could you give us a, sort of a, a brief summary? Yeah. Obviously, we talked about some of that already, but like, how do you get to those three takeaways? Why were they the three most important takeaways for your keynote? I, I think... Of the three, the one that I wanted to focus on maybe the most for the Microsoft audience was viewing the research community in a similar way we view customers. Whether, whether you're in security or not, Microsoft has one of our you know company principles is what we call customer obsession. And the way I would translate that is believing your customers have a problem and that it's your job to ultimately bring that solution. So you have to be close to your customers so you understand their best their problems and you can come up with the best solutions and that's how you're going to build successful products. If we zoom out from a security space, I firmly believe that our security researchers play the role of customer advocate. They're saying, look, if you don't fix this, somebody is going to be impacted negatively. Now, your average customer may not be an amazing security researcher, so in this case, they're proxies, right? They're folks who are clearly customer advocates, they're advocates for security. And so what I wanted to do, if there's one you know objective I had in that keynote, it's connect this principle of customer obsession, which everyone at Microsoft, I think, understands and, and believes in, to the research community implying it there. If you're working on credential protection security, you should know and have a relationship with someone like James Forshaw who can tell you as a customer advocate where you're falling short. 
And rather than seeing that as adversarial, you should see this as someone who's giving you the key problems and helping you find the best solutions. And, you know, that's just one microcosm. That could be anything, right? It could be people working on Power BI or services, et cetera. There's someone in your area, in the community, who is, a, you know, the best possible advocate for security and you should know and have a relationship with them. And second to that, it's one thing to get their feedback. It's very important to turn that into action, right? That's what's going to allow people to have, you know, many years of relationships is knowing you're going to do something about it and that, you know, there there's an ROI for them to help you. And I think the last thing is around sort of advocacy, and that is, you know, that room of people going to Blue Hat, those are dedicated folks. That is the security community at Microsoft. If you made the time to go to Blue Hat, if you found a way to get a registration, you're motivated. And so I wanted to think of those folks as the cadre, like the folks who are going to go back to their teams and have an outsized impact. They're going to talk to their peers, get them interested in security. Have you read this GPZ blog? Have you uh, seen this Black Hat talk? It's through that that we're going to evolve the culture. Microsoft already has a strong security culture. It already has folks who believe in it. But look, we're constantly hiring. Folks change. The ecosystem changes. We need to continue to evolve that culture. The culture of security 15 years ago when I started was not really common to talk to external researchers, right? Fast forward to 2015, you know, your average PM or dev at Microsoft can start a Twitter account and start talking to people who do research on their features. And if you know how to channel that, you can make some incredible changes. And so that was ultimately what I was trying to get out there. And I think some of the examples I used were places where I thought I knew my stuff. I think I mentioned sort of SMB and crypto and the community came and showed me I didn't. And I I don't see that as a failure or anything to be defensive. I see that as like the system is working. Like I am being informed that I could do more by folks who are proving this to me. And then I am doing more and finding out that was a good, you know, that was a good action. So that was one of the things I wanted to show is just in my own experience, how much I've benefited from this relationship and this sort of philosophy of working with the research community. Yeah, it, it was great. And I urge anyone listening to that, this episode that wasn't at Blue Hat or hasn't already watched the recording, uh, head up onto YouTube, uh, search for Blue Hat 2023 and, and, and David Weston. You'll see that video. We'll also put a link in the notes. <laughs> this is might be a hard one sure. to answer, but almost psychologically, how do you help folks either in your organization or just that you sort of bump into within the community and the industry deal with the shift of thinking of a researcher, someone that has found a hole in your product, has found a bug, has found a vulnerability, or even like something more severe than just something that needs to be patched. How do you address that emotional or psychological or, you know, ego-based response of being defensive, pushing back, seeing the researcher as as an adversary. How do you give guidance to folks that say, like, you're going to initially probably feel defensive, you're probably initially going to feel really cranky, but, you know, how do you help them go through that evolution? Because, you know, if someone tells you that your your baby's ugly, you're, you're, you're going to be upset. So it's interesting. I don't find that many people have an adversarial or defensive response. Microsoft has a culture of like code reviews and it's very common for people to come and say, you could have done this better and for people to normalize around that. Every you know pull request you submit is going to have a code review and you're going to get feedback. Let me tell you, sometimes, you know, 
when I was writing uh, pull requests, I'd get 50 comments, right? And that was a little bit of an ego hit, but it's normalized for people who are doing this all the time. And so I don't think that there's necessarily that issue. The issue I see is more about feeling empowered to take what the researcher is saying beyond the specific bug and make improvements. Like, there's, like I said, it's very transactional. It's like, a researcher gave me a bug. I'm allowed to fix this bug. What I want, the mind shift is, actually, you should reach out to this person, have a broader conversation with them, and go fix everything that you think is valid from that. And I think that is the mindset that just isn't there, and that stops us from building better relationships. And that was kind of the genesis for me trying to sort of up-level this into, let's go beyond bugs, let's go for interaction. And I just, for whatever reason, maybe legacy reasons, I don't see enough of this. Let me just shoot this person a mail. Let me just uh, add this person on LinkedIn or Twitter and start a conversation. And that is, I think, the next step in kind of leveling up the relationships. That's wonderful. I think the whole idea of, if I can combine the two of the big themes that you've just talked about. So one of them is, you know, move beyond individual bugs and variants into sort of, you know, thinking about a bigger picture and how do you make more systemic change to whatever it is that you're engineering or, or you're building. Uh, but the other is, not seeing the individual interaction with a researcher as a single moment and thinking of it as an opportunity to reach out to this person that possibly has some domain expertise or, or just a, a creative way of, of addressing a problem different to you and see if they have other ideas and then forming that, as you say, as, as a partnership. And, and that can only really have well, maybe it can, maybe not a hundred percent of the time, but it sounds like the majority of the time that can only have a positive outcome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, that can potentially get tricky where people don't agree on the recommendations, et cetera. But I mean, I think that all comes from maturing relationships on both sides and people understanding their security. There's other things to balance, like cost and performance and reliability. But I think the more that dialogue happens, the more researchers and engineers just have a better understanding of each other and better understanding of how to interact. That's awesome. Now, Dave, I think you're probably in the process of packing to jump on a plane for Israel for Blue Hat IL. <laughs> I wish I had got on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> so Blue Hat has been running since 2005. There is an annual, or it was initially it was twice a year conference in Redmond, which is sort of the sort of original Blue Hat. The ILDC, the Israel Development Center, they have for many years now run uh, Blue Hat IL or a version of the Blue Hat uh, conference in IL uh, in Israel. You're heading there to, to keynote this episode that folks listening to right now is going to air after Blue Hat IL. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a li little sneak peek or a little summary of, of what you're going to be giving the folks at Blue Hat IL. We'll get a link in the notes to the recording if the timing works out. But I assume a continuation of this theme. No, this is going to be a lot more technical. Uh, going to be talking about kind of the future path for Windows and showing a lot of the really cool work that we're doing there. I teased um, a little bit on Twitter that we were going to be talking about how we're going to use Rust to improve security in the kernel. I know that got quite a bit of views. Uh, there's a lot of interest these days in memory safety across the board. And so it's such an educated audience. It's such an enthusiastic audience. And there's a lot of Windows fans, both on the research and just usage side. So it's really fun. I've done, this will be probably my fourth or fifth talk at Blue Hat IO. Many friends there. That's a really great conference. So yeah, I can't I can't wait. But yeah, I still have to pack and remarkably finish my slides. So a lot to do between now and then. <laughs> Mark Rosidovich talked in his uh, keynote at Blue Hat also about mm -hmm. sort of Rust being, uh, uh, you know, the yeah. time for Rust is now, I think was sort of his headline there. Rust as part of the, the Windows kernel, you know, is that something that you 
could have foreseen happening five years ago, 10 years ago? Have we <laughs> no. always been on this path? No. And that's what, you know, keeps me at Microsoft and, you know, grateful every day is I can foresee very few things about how Microsoft has changed, right? I certainly didn't foresee like GPT-4 powering all of our products. And that's why it's delightful. I mean, I gave kind of a speech to my team the other day about AI and, and the role that security can play in AI. And I said, look, this is what we came to Microsoft for to, to really, and I'm not trying to be cheesy, is to change the world. And we're in a situation right now, for example, with AI, where we can change the world, right? And we can do a lot of good. And our role here is to, to secure AI. But, you know, Microsoft is, is a company that where you just, you know, you, you get these moments every few years where you're just, you know, you're at the forefront of, of changing technology for, for the globe. And so... I love that I can't predict these things. I love that we get these delightful situations and I continue to just feel privileged that I get to play a small role in it. Folks that follow you on Twitter and will have seen that that little sneak peek will see that you're also constantly tinkering. You're yeah. also constantly pulling things apart <laughs> yeah, and seeing how they work. What pulls your attention? What shiny objects grab you and, and sort of, you know, what are you playing with at the moment? Well, uh, th- those of folks who know me from Signal group chats and things know that... Um, I have a pretty significant kind of, I'll call it a data center at home. <laughs> uh, we call it the Dwizzle Cloud, um, where I have, I think, approaching 800 cores. So I don't know how far that is from an Azure rack, but it's probably getting close. And um, for me and my role advocating for kind of infrastructure security, a lot of people know me for Windows Client, but you know, I also build Windows Server, HCI, Edge, and Cloud. And that's a place where... A lot of the ideas I get from clients just by running, you know, a laptop or running an iPad or running a Chromebook and getting kind of a feel for what security looks like on those systems. Well, you don't get that same experience when you're doing DevOps systems. You actually have to go and do DevOps stuff. So um, it started from a need to get closer to sort of the customer view by doing my own kind of operational security. And it quickly uh, exploded into basically having my own cloud where I've got, you know, HSMs rotating keys. I'm writing my own firmware. I have build pipe lines that I have to tend to. So it went from like tinkering into, I dare to call it another job. (laughs) But I do, so far I still enjoy it. It still becomes interesting. And, you know, I spent a lot of time on eBay and these other places kind of trolling for new things to add. Latest thing I added was a hundred gigabit backbone. So I have 100 gig in my house, and that's actually uh, an Azure developed operating system, uh, a Linux-based operating system. So it's fun. I get to spin my own builds. I add mitigations, things like that. So yeah, it's it's a become a pretty serious hobby for me. Your 100 gigabit, that's within <laughs> your environment, or do you also have a yeah. 100 gig like link to your, uh, your ISP or whatever? Uh, no, I have 100 gig locally. I think, uh, sadly, the, the highest uh, uplink I can get right now in my area is 1 gig. But uh, the second they get want to give me 10 gig or 100, I'm all over it. Wow. You know, when you're not uh, building out a 100 gig backbone and 10 million cores in your <laughs> home environment and your day job, you're also into music. You're also into yeah. house and EDM and yep. DJing. I'd love to know a bit more about that. If you were at Blue Hat, we got to hear you play some music, which was fantastic. How long have you been into that space? Where do you find the time for it? Yeah, tell us about your your passion for music as well. Yeah, so um, actually, even before, you know, there's two things that I've been doing my entire life, and that is like computer-based music and computer-based security. So like many folks, you know, early in the days of research, I was spending time also like looking at music software, things like trackers, which are kind of early versions of what we call DAWs now, our digital audio workstations. So I've been working on those 
know, for a very long time. And that turned into me also like producing electronic music and hip hop and having some success there. So before I came to Microsoft, I got a chance to work with a lot of different artists and release a lot of different records. And so I sort of put that aside when I, you know, got a more serious job and more serious time. But um, I have quite a few friends who are do really well in different genres of music and are DJ and production. So a couple times a year, we'll do like a, I'll call it an offsite or a retreat where we like rent a house somewhere. The last one was in Ensenada, Mexico and get a bunch of friends in the room and make music. And uh, yeah, that's like really cathartic for me. It's a great escape. And so I do it all the time. And I have, you know, really, I have a room dedicated in my home just to music. So I have a huge studio there, a lot of different, you know, turntables and things like that. So yeah, a huge part of my life revolves around music. And it's just, you know, it's a creative outlet. I've read quite a few books on happiness and, you know, pursuing creativity and creative pursuits is a strong ingredient in people who identify as being really happy. And and so for me, yeah, I think music will always be part of my life and kind of sharing it like at Blue Hat is always a lot of fun, just showing people your taste in music and trying to get them to discover things. That's a really gratifying way for me to spend time. Yeah. And thank you again for for sharing your music with for us sure. at Blue Hat. There's a, I don't know if theory is the right word, but, you know, mathematics or sort of an engineering mindset and music seem sure. to go hand in hand. There's Definitely. sort of a lot of overlap there. Have you found that music, musicianship, creating music, sharing music, is that a thread that runs through the researcher hacker community? Do you find that people that are in this space are also musical? Are there any links, do you think, with the ability to think creatively from a research perspective and the ability to sort of create music? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one, I know there's quite a few people in all different types of music. So I think I think that's pretty common. Uh, you know, across the board, but there's certainly some folks that I know are deeply into into music. I do think that creativity is a component that weighs heavily in security. And, you know, I would even credit myself. I think if there was anything I brought sort of unique to the table in my capacity as a researcher, maybe as an engineering leader was the respect for new ideas and the respect for kind of open palettes and the ability to think really differently and encourage that. And certainly that is something that occurs in music. If you ever make mu- made music, you know, you have to go from basically a blank page in your sequencer or your sheet music <laughs> to, to an idea. You know, that takes a lot of creativity. It takes the ability to sort of iterate through different concepts. It takes the ability to synthesize things you've heard along the way and bring those in. And so I think those are all fundamental techniques in, you know, finding a new attack surface, finding a different bypass of a mitigation, thinking about what a new bug class might look like. I think that there's tons of synergies around that. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if you saw a strong overlap between the folks who identify with like sort of creative space and having very unique approaches in security. So yes, I, I don't I'm not sure if I have anyone who I could kind of single out as someone who's, you know, doing some some really cool stuff in music and that translates, but it would not surprise me at all to find that the case. Can we find you on on Spotify or SoundCloud? You got any of your your produced stuff up there? Yeah, I mean I have some older music. If, I'm sure if you go to like discogs.com and look up my name, you'll find some uh vinyl 12 inches from the 2000s for sure it's been a while since i released anything but uh yeah definitely discogs would have me on there 
We'll see if we can dig that out and put that in the show notes. Dave, you've been so generous. I, I just sort of want to, you know, maybe one final question here is, yeah. and I think we're definitely going to have to have back on the podcast, talk about a million more sure. things, Anytime. but what's sort of top of mind for you, you know, the audience listening to this podcast, uh, you know, they're probably familiar with Blue Hat, familiar with Blue Hat IL, probably familiar with yourself, but sort of, you know, what's going on in your team? Are you hiring? Do you have anything you'd like to sort of plug or promote? I think that there's, Probably a couple of things that are top of mind for me. The first is, you know, continuing the approach we have with Windows 11, which is flipping on more and more security. If folks have been paying attention to what we're doing in Windows, and I'll talk a lot about this at Blue Hat IL, we've been doing a ton of work to turn Windows from kind of a platform that is, you know, open by default and you have to flip security settings on to a platform where you've got most, if not all, critical security settings turned on. So that's a big mission for myself and the team. It's been really nice to see the reaction from the research community and then them saying, here's the next one you should do. So I've been really excited about the reception and excited about that interaction. So that's one thing. You know, the second thing is our Morse team about a year, a year and a half ago, open sourced their fuzzing platform called OneFuzz. It runs on Azure, allows you to, to run some scalable workloads and deploy fuzzers and do, does triage, reporting, et cetera. You know, I'd, I'd love to just point that out to folks and, and say, we're always looking for pull requests and ideas there. And I think if we can build a bi-directional where folks get to use our fuzzing platform that's developed by some pretty, pretty talented folks and also bring their perspectives, that would be great. That is awesome. And Dave, just to confirm, we can follow you on the Twitters. Uh, are you at Dwizzle? Dwizzle MSFT with three Z's. Yep, I'm there. Awesome. Uh, I'm sure we can just search for your name and yeah. obviously put that in the in the in the show notes. Dave, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for supporting Blue Hat and the Blue Hat 2023 event. Uh, best of luck in Israel for Blue Hat IL. Yeah. We will uh, hopefully talk to you again on the Blue Hat podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, team. Appreciate it being here. Thank you for joining us for the Blue Hat podcast. If you have feedback, topic requests, or questions about this episode, please email us at bluehat at microsoft.com or message us on Twitter at MSFTBlueHat. Be sure to subscribe for more conversations and insights from security researchers and responders across the industry by visiting bluehatpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.